You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. We're the Satellite Sisters. Thanks for listening today. I'm Leanne Dolan here in the Wondery Sunset Studios. Today, I think it's important to mention I'm a writer, a novelist yes. myself. Mm-hmm. And so we are so happy to be presenting our Best Beach Bag Books Spectacular. It's an annual event for us. I don't know. I've lost track. 12, yeah. 15 years we've Many been doing years. this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So happy to be here today. Jack Cade. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Liz Dolan. I'm here with Leanne in the Wondery Sunset Studio. I am uh, I'm the middle sister. I, I, I prefer audiobooks yes. sometimes. I would listen to a lot of audiobooks driving around L.A as much as I do. So that that's what my recommendation is going to be later on. Jewel? I'm Julie Dolan. I'm here in Dallas, Texas, in my closet. I'm the oldest sister. I'm an empty nester, an urban nanner, and I certainly am a reader. So I have some books to recommend today, too. So I, I think it's going to be a fun hour. Joining us later on in the hour is best-selling New York Times novelist Jennifer Weiner. Very excited to talk to her. Her, her new book, Mrs. Everything, is out today. Liz, it's an epic uh, novel. It takes place mm-hmm. over 60 years about two sisters who go through sort of everything two women could go through between, like, 1950 and current day. So it takes into account, like, women's lives, but also the t- place and the time in history. And it's just a really satisfying read. Now, I promise when we talk to her, we are not going to do any spoilers, which is really hard because I enjoyed the book, but the book just debuts today. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to ruin it for listeners. So we're going to talk to Jennifer about her book, but also about her other writing that she does for the New York Times and some of her other thoughts on sort of life in general. She's an inspiring figure and writer to me. So I'm looking forward to that. And at the end of the show, we're going to do a little summer travel, right? Mm -hmm. Liz, you have some Everybody's on the, the road. Facebook. Yeah, we were answering a question that was posted in the Facebook group. And Leon, you have an article about what married couples fight about on vacation. You know, I cut that. I oh, decided that. to cut okay. it because I said it just didn't seem that positive. Okay. Let's uh, so I'll tell you what oh, it is. They talk. They talk about. They fight about work. They fight okay. about stop working. <laughs> oh. Put your phone down. Get, oh, get, okay. Yeah. And then All I right. realized, well, that's what we do. That's what I. My husband. So I cut it. Okay, That's forget I mentioned it. Forget, forget <laughs> it. We're never speaking of it again. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> all right, so let's get right into it. We're going to personally review some of the books that we loved, but all of the books we mentioned are at SatelliteSisters.com. Mm-hmm. They have complete blog posts, descriptions, links to the book. We want to encourage you to visit your local independent bookstore to buy them if you want or to order online if that's what you prefer or to go to Audible. They happen Mm -hmm. to be a sponsor of today's show, so you're going to hear more about the Audible offer later. But everything you need to know is at our website, SatelliteSisters.com. And we will try to spread that link around as many times as we can. Yeah. Because we often get questions in the Facebook group. What was the name of X? Go to the website. Yeah. We promise it's there today. And Leon works hard on creating these blog posts when it comes to the best beach bag books. So you'll enjoy reading the whole thing. I have enjoyed reading all the books, uh-huh. actually. This year, I just really went for a lot of fun books on my particular list that I'm going to talk about today. Books that sort of represented like sexy and summery and, you know, contemporary to me. So the first one I want to recommend is Daisy Jones and the Six by Tara Jenkins Reid. Okay, and this is... 
Uh, it's a bittersweet rock and roll novel set in L.A. during the 70s. And Oh, sold already. Yeah, that so right? Great. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> and then as I was reading it, you got, I got into it and I realized, oh, I get it. This is a fictionalized version of Fleetwood Mac creating the Rumors album. Wow. So okay. if that sounds like a wow to you, and Liz, it does, you yeah. will enjoy this because you get the heartbreak and you get the music and uh-huh. you get the tour bus shenanigans <laughs> as there were a lot of shenanigans mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac. Um, but what's particularly interesting about this book, uh, and it's either a warning or you're going to love it, is that it's told in a Q&A style. So it's imagine it's like reading the transcript of an interview. Mm-hmm. That's the uh-huh. literary conceit of the book. Okay. So it's not written in prose. Okay. So you're either going to love that uh-huh. or you're going to go, what's happening here? So I encourage <laughs> you, if you pick it up, just to like take a look at the sample pages. Go, okay, I'm on board with this. Yeah. So it reads quick. But then there's a big surprise at the end of the book that I'll leave for you uh, if you're reading it. But I really enjoyed this. It really takes you to the 70s. It's just... Put on your flowery skirt, you right. know, light your incense, and enjoy this book. Daisy. We remember the 70s, don't we, Julie? <laughs> yes. I, I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. No, I do remember the 70s. Yeah. Daisy Jones and the Six. Okay. And next, another book I love this time, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by author Sonali Dev. Okay. This is kind of Bollywood meets Jane Austen in a retelling of the classic Pride and Prejudice tale. And I usually end up reading these Pride and Prejudice books and resenting them. I will be honest, because I I think... Why? uh, Well, you know, Liz, as a novel... You don't think it's an original story? It's not an original story. You're you're literally taking someone else's story Uh, beats and putting new names and characters in them. And as a novelist, you have a hang up. If you love that, if you love that pattern, I'm 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 all in on this book. Okay, it's a fun. This one is I'm recommending it because I do love it. Pride and Prejudice is a great tale, Mm -hmm. and you know why not? But then sometimes I get to the end of those books and I think, well, how hard was that? I mean, come on. The hard part about writing is the plot, people. So, but this one really surprised me. First of all, it's really immersive into another culture. It's kind of a gender bender twist. So Mm -hmm. Mr. Darcy is actually doctor, Dr. Darcy, Mm -hmm. Dr. Ma'am. She's actually a woman. The Darcy character plays an Indian American brain surgeon who falls for a biracial British chef. And it's really sharp writing, a lot of lively cultural observations. It's got just enough tension where you need the sexual tension and a lot of delicious sounding Indian food. So, yeah, because Mm. he's a chef. So you get a lot of that. So I really like the way she twisted up this tale. It's set in San Francisco, but the family is from all over the world. So the writing is very British. I enjoyed it. Uh, All right. Along the same veins, I want to recommend The Wedding Party by Jasmine Guillory. All right. She is an African-American writer who writes a lot of multicultural romance novels. Uh And her books are fun and fast and flirty. They are literally the definition of a beach bag book. Okay. Okay. And she is absolutely happy to be a star in the multicultural romance genre. So she has three books out, The Wedding Date, The Proposal, and The Wedding Party. I've read them all. I find them delightful. I think you will, too. And I'm looking forward to the book she wrote about Meghan Markle and Harry called The Royal Holiday in October. Yes. Really? Wow. Okay. 
I'm adding that to my list too. Can well, we what, pre-order all yeah, of the above? You can. I mean, what I like about Jasmine Guillory's work is she is she went to Stanford Law School, so she's very smart. It's smart romance. I uh-huh. enjoy that. It's fun. Perfect for you know the beach, sitting in an airport, being on the train, uh, whatever you need to do. Enjoyed the wedding party. Okay, Julie, this book is for you. Okay, this Mistress of the Ritz. It's historical fiction, and I thought of you as I read it because I thought, oh, Julie would really like this book. So it's called Mistress of the Ritz by Melanie Benjamin, and she also wrote, like, The Aviator's Wife and The Girl Oh, I read that book. Yes. Yes. Everybody read that book. Everybody's book club read that book. So (laughs) she is really, really good at historical fiction, and that's a genre I can't even imagine writing, like, has no interest to me as a writer. But oh, really? I, yeah, I don't, I, I would feel like an idiot trying to write in 1940s. <laughs> okay. Talk. Well, I guess you should stay away from it. Stay away from it. Yeah, don't do it. That's the way you feel. Stay away from yeah. it. <laughs> but I love reading it. Yeah. I don't care. Time travel, historical fiction, uh, witches, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, so this one is set at the Ritz in Paris during the Nazi occupation. And it's really based on a true story of a real-life American woman who was secretly working for the French resistance during World War II while playing hostess to these invading Germans at the iconic Ritz Hotel. That sounds great. It's really good. And because she really understands writing in time and place, it's fantastic. And it starts in the 20s, so you get that Paris that is Coco Chanel, makes appearances, and F. Scott Fitzgerald. I mean, it seems like we've, you know, there's been so much written about the French resistance uh, mm-hmm. in Paris, but I'm t- I'm all in on this, Leanne. Yeah. I can read another book. Yeah. yeah, so it's a little bit of spy novel. It has, you know, a plot mm. engine that's really driving. I really enjoyed it. Mistress of the Ritz by Melanie Benjamin. And then the last book I want to recommend is a book I blurbed, okay? And uh, it's by the publisher that published my first two novels and our book, You're the Best. It's called Saint Everywhere. And this is just a different little book. It's by Mary Lee Carroll. This is her first time effort. But it is a wonderful book if you are traveling or have any interest in the lady saints. Okay, so if you're sort of looking for a spiritual guide to maybe traveling, Mm -hmm. Mary Lee Carroll writes about her trips to various places around the world in search of the lady saints. What are the lady saints? You just mean female saints? Yeah, Saint Elizabeth, Saint Elizabeth, Saint Catherine. Okay, all right. I didn't know if it was a subset. Okay, sure. Lady saints. There is no Saint Leanne, of course. Yeah, there's no Saint Leanne. You know, Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe, she goes there. So she uses sort of seeking out the relics and statuary and hometowns of these uh, saints as a way to describe her travels, but also her spiritual journey. It was perfect oh, for me. So I just want to recommend that enough. And actually, the publisher is giving away two copies of that at our Facebook group. So you can find that post at the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. Fantastic. Easy comment to winners, but I recommend it to everyone. It's also a nice gift book. So yeah, Saint and you everywhere. can read Saint by Saint. That's what I like about it too. So you know, you can just yeah. you can read it in chunks if you don't have a lot of time to read. It's it's a good uh, it's good that way yeah, too. It's, yeah, it's it's a really charming, well written collection of essays. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I have a book for you, sisters, that I really recommend. It's called The Night Tiger by Yang Si Chu. And this book is set in the 1930s in colonial Malaysia. 
So already I'm in. I hope you're in. It's got an exotic setting. It's magical. It's mysterious. But it's the story. It's a coming of age story of a young girl, G. Lynn. And she doesn't have the greatest life. She's an apprentice dressmaker. She sort of hates that. But she's also moonlighting as a dance hall girl in order to pay off her mother's ma- mahjong debts. Okay. Oh, so good. she's. So she's trying to help out, but she has this secret life as a dance hall girl. Into her life, becomes she becomes entwined with this 11-year-old Chinese houseboy, Ren. And he is on a quest to fulfill his dead master's final wish. And I don't want to give away the whole plot and the story, but it's an exotic setting. It's an exotic st- tale it has some dream sequences. It's beautifully written. She's a very good writer. It's thoroughly involving and I think transporting. I, you know, I just couldn't wait to pick up the book uh, every time to read more about what was happening. So that's a real winner, The Night Tiger by Yang Si Chu. That sounds good. Yeah, it is good. It's good. Liz, I think you would like it. You've spent a lot of time in Asia. Mm-hmm. I think you would, re- uh, you know, she does a great job of sort of painting, you know, the picture of colonial uh, Malaysia. The second book I'm going to recommend is um, is a little more unusual. I heard Kai Lynn Lewis Moore speak. And uh, so I was like, I'm all in. I've got to I've got to read his book. The name of his book is A Dream Too Big, and it's the improbable story of how he grew up in Compton, which is a section of Los Angeles. Uh, it's one of the most impoverished section, gang-infested section uh, communities in Los Angeles, and now he is a Rhodes Scholar. And what is amazing about this story, he had a single mom, uh, he had a brother, uh, but it's how Kai Lin learn to learn because he didn't learn the same way many of us who have come from more privileged backgrounds have learned in school. I mean, he had to learn from things he saw on the street, uh, things, you know, to avoid things to, uh, to, to replicate. And it really is a fascinating and humbling testimonial. So it's very inspiring. I kind of feel like we've, I saw, I heard him speak uh, at, he's a pretty young age. He's in his late 20s. He went to Tex, uh, TCU undergrad and then became a Rhodes Scholar. But I kind of feel like we are going to hear more from Kylan Moore. So this is a good book to read. It's a dream too big. So you might you might want to check that out. It's it's the style of it, Leon, is interview style. So they, it's a series of questions that have asked. But you hear what he went through. It just you know, it makes you want to just work harder to improve, you know, communities and education so that more children have more opportunities. Okay, the good third range. book, yeah, the third book I'm going to recommend is Normal People by Sally Rooney. Now, this is getting a lot of buzz, and a lot I of haven't buzz. a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz, and I haven't completely finished it. <laughs> and my recommendation is this is both a fascinating. An aggravating book. So, <laughs> how wow. about that? Okay. okay. Wow. It is. It is the story of Marianne and Connell's on again, off again relationship. It's set at Trinity College in Dublin, uh, and they're outsiders with a quite, quite a few problems, and they're trying to fit in, and they have this relationship. And it's like circling, circling. They're together, and then they're apart, and they circle some more. So. 
I, I like it because it is sort of aggregate aggravating, but it's also fascinating. I feel like maybe this is real insight to really what millennials, how they operate, how they think. And so for that, for that, for that insight, I'm enjoying the book. It's called Normal People by Sally Rooney. So you might want to add that to your list. Excellent. Okay. Wow. Good list so far. A lot of it. So I'm going to just bring it on home with some nonfiction, which I enjoy reading and listening to. But this is a nonfiction audio book. It's called American Wolf, A True Story of Survival and Obsession in the West. And it's by Nate Blanksley, and it's really, really well narrated. And it is the story of the reintroduction of wolves to Yellowstone. And, you know, but this is it's, it, this story from every angle. It is not just, you know, like, oh, let's praise the wolves and all things, all things wolfy, though there is a super badass wolf who is the <laughs> she is the key person in this story is the wolf named Oh, six. And she's named Oh, six because that was the year of her birth, 2006. And so it's the story of Oh, six and also the ranger that really was following these wolves. He lived inside the park his entire lives, his entire life. And so followed like all of the various families and how they lived and died and how they traveled. And, you know, scientists had been doing a lot of studies of how the wolves moved around um, in the whole American West for a long time. So you hear all of that, the kind of the science and it's like what you would get out of a great nature documentary. But then you also get there like action sequences where the wolves are having big fights. There's courtroom drama about the people that are fighting against the reintroduction of the wolves. Um, a lot of political upheavals. It is really well done and really hot really well told. And you learn a lot about how complicated some of these issues are. And you also learn a lot about... I'm I'm reading the description. I wouldn't think that you would be into the wolf movement, Liz, but this is very interesting. Well, I just... All those years at National Geographic, Julie, I watched a lot of nature documentaries. I really appreciate how hard it is to tell stories about animals and the kind of attention to detail it takes to really be able to piece together where they live, what they eat, like what what children are they having, like all of that. Like those kinds of scientists fascinate me because I met a lot of them during my years at National Geographic. <laughs> okay, you know, I forgot you worked there. Yeah, yeah we, we, forget. we forget that, Liz. <laughs> okay, Liz. Okay. You know, like the Joubert's who live with the lions in Africa. I've met them many times. I don't know how they do what they do. Anyway, wolves, lions, whatever. I'm fascinated. So this is, uh, and because it's an audiobook. You get the sound of the wolves at oh, the very beginning. Solid. So you don't get that in your black and white print versions. So American <laughs> Wolf, A True Story of Survival and Obsession in the West by Nate Blakesley. All right. That is just a sampling of some of the books on our list. There will be additional books on the Satellite Sisters list. So, again, we want to encourage you to go to SatelliteSisters.com and find the post for the 2019 best beach bag books. Uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking to Jennifer Weiner. She is a New York Times bestselling author. Here's what you need to know about her. Mm -hmm. She she has been collectively on the bestsellers list at the New York Times for over five years. Wow. All of her titles, including her her first one, Good and Bad. Yeah. She has just put in the work, put in the hours, written books that people love to read, and her newest title is Mrs. Everything. She's also an op-ed columnist for the New York Times. We're going to be talking to her about that. uh, She tweets a lot about the 
The Bachelor. I don't understand that part of her bio, but that's part of who she uh-huh. is. That's fine. And She's very hashtag stay noisy. That's yes, what I like about her. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. She speaks up. So when we return, we have Jennifer Weiner with us. Stay tuned. Hi, all. It's Leanne Dolan from Satellite Sisters. And you know what my definition of self-care is? Any product from OseaMalibu.com. That's right. We love the beautiful body care products at OseaMalibu.com. And we love that they've supported Satellite Sisters for a long time. That's how it works. The sponsors support us. You support the sponsors. We continue to produce Satellite Sisters content for you. And you know what? We do it with really great looking skin. This is the year of Andaria Algae Body Butter. If you have not tried this amazing product yet, 2024 is your year because Andaria Algae Body Butter is Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable product. It makes a glowing choice for achieving your new year body care and self-care goals. I got to tell you, you put this stuff on. First of all, we've said it before, you want to eat it. Secondly, you put it on, it makes your skin feel so smooth and hydrated. And that lasts for days. You know, have you ever had a beauty product that kind of fades out and an hour later you're like, what happened there? Not the case with the famous Andaria Algae Body Butter. It's not your typical body butter and that's why it works better. It's made with ingredients that's normally reserved for your face like the Andaria seaweed and the ceramides and it can transform your dry, crepey skin to smooth, soft, and supple. So make it happen in 2024. Start the new year fresh with clean vegan skincare and body care from Mosia. Right now, we have a special discount just for our satellite sisters and misters. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. You get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head over to OseaMalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. We're excited to welcome Jennifer Weiner to Satellite Sisters. Her book, Misses Everything, is our Satellite Sisters book club pick for our Summer Beach Bag book series. We want to encourage you all to read it, and we want to welcome Jennifer to Satellite Sisters. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Well, hey, thanks for calling. We're just huge fans. I mean, I love your work. I you keep up with that stay noisy ethos. You're speaking out yes. on behalf of us and putting yourself out there so we can just sit at home and forward your emails and your op-ed pieces. <laughs> so I love it. Thank you. Thanks. That's we're why gonna, I'm here. We're going to talk about your book, Mrs. Everything, but just it's the publication date today. Does it ever get old bringing out a book? You've had so many bestsellers. Do you ever, do you get nervous you know, every time? I, I get nervous every time. And there's always like, every time I see, it as a book like you know when they send me the advanced readers editions and I you know it has a cover and the words are on pages and the pages have numbers and it like looks like a real thing like that is every time I I get so happy about that it's wonderful well we don't want to give away the plot because it's just out today we do want to encourage people to go out and buy it so this is kind of a no spoilers conversation but I do Mm -hmm. want to start with the title because yeah I I love it. I know. I just love it. (laughs) It's the best ever title. Like, when did you, you. when did you cook it up and what does it mean to you? Well, okay. So I have to give credit where credit is due. My husband thought of the title. And so Mrs. Everything is the story of two sisters and it follows them for pretty much 70 years from their, from their girlhood through 
they're when they're teenagers, when they're young women, young mothers, and then they become mothers and then grandmothers. And it, it sort of takes a look at their lives. And I was talking to him, talking to my husband about my mom and uh, I remember I used to say to her, like, well, you were in college during the 60s. Like, that must have been just incredible. And she said, well, by the time the 60s were really the 60s, I was not in college anymore. I was married and I had children and and I missed everything. And so that that just sort of stuck somehow that my mom was a woman who had missed everything. And that if she'd just been born a little bit later things could have been very different for her. And so my husband, who he does, you know, crossword puzzles and and word things that I can't do, but he was the one who came up with Mrs. Everything. And I really, really liked it. Yeah. I mean, to me, especially actually gives me kind of chills to hear you describe that. Why? Because it is, it's really profound and very simple. Like the women in our lives have done everything. And at the same time, sometimes nothing. Sometimes they miss... <laughs> They missed a. They missed out on a lot because yeah. they were doing what they were and told. And I think, right. And I, I think that's true of of every generation. I mean, my my mother's mother dropped out of high school during the depression and, and went to work in a five and dime as a cashier, and she was a very bright woman and and very well read and very interested in the world around her. But college was not really an option for young women when she was growing up. And so she missed, you know, that world of opportunity that could have been open to her. And um, with my own mom, and we, we can get into more of this later, but my own mother's story is that she grew up in Detroit and married a doctor and moved to Connecticut, moved to the suburbs and had four children and got divorced in the 80s. And then 10 years later, fell in love with a woman. And, you know, much to the astonishment (laughs) and the, and the revulsion. That was, that was uh, very unusual for that time period. Well, in the nineties, I mean, it was still, you know, like Ellen had just been on the cover of time magazine with the, the yep, I'm gay thing. And so it was still, it was still kind of, you know, it was, it was unusual. It was, um, we, I mean, my, my siblings and I were, I talk about Mrs. Everything. We were just like, did we not see this? Like, what should we, <laughs> like, she always like softball. Should that have told us something? Like, I don't know. But, um, you know, and, and it's just been interesting because my mom's partner is younger than she is. And, um, her, her name's Claire and Claire and her first partner had a baby together. They, they were one of the first sort of turkey baster baby families that, you know, they were two women and they, they lived in Denver and they had a child. And so, you know, even in the the 15 years between when my mom was born and when Claire was born, the world changed a lot. And I, I just feel like that's true of, of every woman everywhere. There's always some like some some progress, some great leap forward, some door that opened that was closed to you. And and that sort of that that informs the book. And that's what I want readers to think about as they're reading it is sort of what's been available to them and at what cost did those advances come? And what do we still need to do for the next generation? 
Yeah, the the book does actually fictionalize your mom's life. Is that fair to say? Is that a well? Yeah, I mean, I, I took it as inspiration, mm-hmm. and and uh, let me tell you, it is weird when you're sitting there thinking about a character based on your mom having sex for the first time as a teenager, and you're just like, what is wrong with me? I'm sitting here <laughs> writing about my mother's sex life. Like, like what? <laughs> Why are, where am I broken? But, you know, <laughs> she was she was the inspiration for that character. So I thought about her a lot as I was writing this. And I thought about my my own daughters who are um, 16 and 11 and just, um, you know, the 16 year old, especially who can't wait to be out in the world on her own. And, you know, thinking about the world she'll be going out into. Yeah, this Have is they a- read the book. Have they read the book? Uh, yet? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> The 16-year-old wants nothing to do with anything I've written. She does not care. She's made it very clear those are not her kinds of books. And the 11-year-old can't wait to read them. And I'm like, no, 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 there, there, yeah. will, be no, <laughs> there will be no reading of mommy's books. You're not ready for that yet. Yeah, it's an adult book. I mean, it's a book for yeah. grown women. That's what I would yeah. say. Because it, it, as you said, it's decades long. It encompasses the story of two sisters. And they experience a lot. There's pain. There's joy. There's love. There's support. There's some horrific things they experience. What made you decide it was time now for this big book with this big story? Um, well, the short answer is the 2016 election. Uh-huh. Um, you know, after that happened... I, I think that a lot of um, a lot of people sort of did like a gut check, like, okay, this thing has happened in the world, and what's my response to that? What's my job here? Like, what is what is the most useful thing that I could be doing? And for me, the short answer was, I'm going to tell women's stories, and in telling those stories, I'm going to illuminate sort of all of the political debates that we're having, all of the issues that we're fighting about. I'm I'm going to try to show what those issues look like for real people in real time. And even though obviously it's fiction and these are these are fictional people, um, you know, I I think that the book was informed by the Me Too movement. I think that it was informed by some of these um, laws that we're seeing in Georgia and Ohio, um, these these heartbeat bills that are criminalizing very early abortions and and probably some kinds of birth control as well. Um, Just stories about anti-Semitism, stories about racism, stories about nationalism and and white men feeling displaced and wondering how the world shifted under their feet to the point where they don't have the power they once did. Um, I wanted to talk about all of that. And I wanted to do it in a, in a way where you could take it to the beach and, you know, tuck it in your, your beach bag and enjoy the ride. I, I think that's an important piece of it, too, is writing something entertaining. Yeah, because ultimately it's fiction. It's not didactic. You're not writing nonfiction. You have that right, opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that. I mean, nobody. Nobody wants to spend 400 pages, you know, listening to somebody standing on a soapbox and berating them, even if you agree with the points that they're making. Um, you know, it's my job to tell you a story and to uh, to put you in these women's shoes as they navigate the changing world and to make you think about your own journey, hopefully, and and the other women in your life, whether they're your mother or your sister or your daughters or your friends, um, where they've been and, and where we're all going 
going next. You know, you chose sisters as the two main characters. Why sisters? You have a sister. so I you have know. a sister, yeah. yeah. Um, I have one sister. My mother has one sister. And I, I knew that there was going to be a character like my mom. And then I was thinking about my mom's my mom's real life sister, my aunt Marlene, who is the the blonde, thin, pretty, married, heterosexual sister, you know, <laughs> the, the good girl, right? Yeah. And I, I was thinking about like, you know, what's underneath that surface of the of the good girls that I've known in my life, because I think that nobody, nobody moves through the world without there being some damage, without them living through some kind of trauma. So I I wanted, um, so the two sisters are Bethy and Joe, which are straight out of Little Women. And I wanted them to be sort of reflections of one another and, and at times to have them almost switch places and to illustrate how one sister can sort of choose the things that she thinks are going to keep her safe and going to be easy for her and going to make her life not such a struggle and how the other sister can um, be making different choices and can be saying, you know, no, I want the struggle. I I want to, I, I want to feel like my life has some larger purpose and, and then have them switch places again. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot about what, what makes us happy? What lets us as women live authentically? What fills up the empty spaces inside of us? And I I didn't want to tell that story with just one woman. It would have been way too much to just throw at one character. And, you know, sisters always interest me. And the, the idea, and I'm sure you guys have thought about this. We thought a about it a little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, we thought about a little it. Bit. You know, just the idea that, like, you can grow up, you know, under the same roof, in the same circumstances, eating the same food and having the same bedtimes and the same rules and everything and just turn into such different people. Exactly. And, yes, and we think it's that, fascinating. You know, <laughs> right. And, and the idea, though, that there's a sister is the witness to your journey. You know, she's the one who's going to see all of it, you know, kind of from the beginning, hopefully to the end and, and somebody who's going to know you in all of your incarnations. So that really spoke to me. Julie, you, you, I mean, yes, you wrote about that. I know that was probably the one pass. I just, that spoke to me where you write about, we lose ourselves, but find our way back. And that if we're lucky, you, you have sisters or friends who remind you when you forget the best, your best intentions, right. And you come back to yourself again and again. I love right. that because I think that's what sisters or friends that act as sisters can do is to remind you about who you are. Right. 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 And, and to, you know, to call you to account, to, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself and, 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 you know, someone who knows where you you've been, I think, has the best chance of, of really being able to envision where you could go. So that's what I wanted Joe and Bethy to do for each other in this story. Well, it's a beautiful book, Jennifer. I just really enjoyed it. I didn't want it to end. And when it ended, I was Aww. sad. So you accomplished <laughs> that with Mrs. Everything. You know, you write everything. You literally write everything. You write hashtags. <laughs> you write television shows. You write New York Times op-eds. You've written a memoir, which was very personal. Hungry Heart came out a couple of years ago, a collection of essays and memoir. What do you think it is about your voice that women respond to? It's... 
so funny because I'll have women come up to me at readings and they'll say like, you could be my best friend. And I just frequently will stand there thinking, where were you in high school? <laughs> I had no friends. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, and the other thing that I hear a lot is you say exactly what I think. Mm. And the unspoken part of that, you know, it's a compliment, but the thing that they're not saying is like, well, I just think it, I would never say it out loud. And I don't know, I, I think maybe I'm, I'm missing one of my filters or something like that, but I, <laughs> I, I just have sort of had no issue with saying the quiet part out loud. Cause I think sometimes the quiet part needs to be said out loud. I, I think that there's still, you know, there's, there's work for us to be done, work for us as women. And I, I think that um, naming some of those things is the first step to fixing them. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really are an equality warrior. About a decade ago, you took on the New York Times, you know, the book review section for their dismissal of books written by women. And now mm. you write an op-ed for the New York yes. Times. So was that your plan all along? <laughs> Just get in there and break them down? <laughs> Hashtag irony. Well, I, I sometimes wonder if it was their plan all along to sort of like have me write for them and and sort of like co-opt me. Like if she's in, if she's working for us, we can kind of keep her quiet. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, of course, like I, I grew up watching my parents read the New York Times and it was, you know, it was always a dream to to publish there and to have my opinion pieces running on those pages. And it's still just a remarkable feeling for me knowing that that's one of the things that I do and that's one of the places that I that I can write but I I still you know if if there if women are getting the short end of the stick or if like for example recently in the book review they do that by the book column where they'll ask ask somebody, you know, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading? What's the last book you loved? What book do you give as gifts? You know, it's like lots of questions about a reader's life. And there was a, a man, a male author who he name checked 25 different writers and 24 of them were men. And the only woman he mentioned was um, when he was talking about To Kill a Mockingbird and how it wasn't as good as some other book that he'd liked. Oh, wow. And I, I'm just thinking like, you know, do, does this man have no like women in his life to look at that list and say, you know, George <laughs> Pelicanos, you know, maybe you should throw a woman or two in there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I if I see something like that, I'm going to talk about it. And, and I'm going to say, you know, it's just amazing to me that 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 women's books are still sort of seen as other. Yes. And we're still sort of in this special category where people talk about women's fiction, but there's no such thing as men's fiction. You know, those are those are just books. And that persists. And I'm going to talk about it until it's not a problem anymore, which probably means I'm going to be talking about it until I die. But, you know, we need to talk about this stuff. I, I think it's a case of if you see something, say something. And I think that if we don't speak up, nothing changes. Do you do you sort of comb the paper or comb your life? And when you come on something you're like, oh, I can write the New York Times piece about that. Are you like super psyched? You're like, <laughs> yeah, they, I got it. I got my next column. To me. <laughs> they, they just they just kind of come to me and, you know, I'll I'll bounce it off my husband and I'll say, like, do you think that this is a column? Do you think this is something 
interesting and you know he'll say yes or no and um i don't know how recently you guys have read heartburn the nora efron novel but there is this like hysterical bit where there's a character who's a columnist for the washington post and he has to write three columns a week and the joke of this man is every single thing that happens everything single thing that he says or does or says he'll say you think there's a column in that <laughs> you know it's like they'll be eating a chicken and he'll be like you know dark meat versus white meat you think there's a column in that and then he'll just be like you know shut up greg like there is not a column in that but i i, I feel like you know things just kind of you know i i keep my eyes open and i listen to what the other moms in the carpool lane are talking about and you know there's always something to write about well what jennifer are you hopeful do you think things are getting better because you've spoken up and other women have spoken up? You know, I I do think things are getting better slowly but surely. And I can I can look at the numbers. Um like you said, about 10 years ago, there were a, several prominent female authors, and I was one of them who started started talking about why aren't women's books getting reviewed as frequently as books by men? Why aren't women being tapped to write book reviews as frequently as men? Why is there still this ghetto? Why does the New York Times review horror and science fiction and mysteries and thrillers and completely ignore romance? What's up with that? And this organization called VITA, which is a, it's a women in the arts organization, they started actually counting. They would take a magazine or they would take a newspaper and they would count, okay, how many books by women versus how many books by men are getting reviewed. And I remember the first year the count came out and the New Republic had reviewed 17 books by men and one book by a woman. And the pie chart was remarkable because it was, you know, blue, blue, blue with this like tiny, tiny sliver of gold for women. And as time has gone on, I've seen those pie charts get better. I've seen the ratios improve. And I've seen the editors of these publications get called to answer for the imbalance, if there is one. And sometimes they'll say, yes, we see this as a problem and we're working on it. Or sometimes they will say, we only want to review the best books. And if, if you know, if 17 of those those best books are by men and only one is by a woman, then so be it, you know, to which I would say, well, let's talk about what your criteria are for best and what's informing those choices. But yes, I am hopeful. Yes, I do think things are getting better. I think that um, I think progress is slow, but I think that it's it's slow but steady. Yeah. And it bears repeating to people who might dump me that into the publishing business. Eighty percent of books are bought by women. Mm -hmm. Like we're a huge we're a huge yeah. economic force in the book business. Yes. So mm -hmm. there. So the disconnect mm -hmm. is even more confusing. You know, mm -hmm. they yeah. write a lot of books. They read a lot of books. They buy a lot of books. They run big publishing houses. And yet here's this giant yes. disconnect. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the essays that you wrote for the New York Times, I loved. It was about Rachmaninoff and how you started yep. taking piano lessons again. And mm -hmm. I recently returned to dance and, <laughs> and performing dance after <laughs> a 30-year hiatus. And I loved your column because it was like, I'm totally cool being mediocre at the piano. And that's the way I feel about my dance lessons. So just to switch up topics, why is it important just to put yourself out there? What have you learned from, like, going back to your piano? piano and and that sort of well, performance art. I mean what what I found in 
taking up the piano again is like, there is such, I mean, first of all, it's just doing something completely different with my brain and with my hands. And I'm sure you find that with dancing. It's just, it's a different part of your brain and it's a different way to use your body. And, you know, I was one of these people where I would go to yoga class and I would want to do everything better than whoever was on the mat next to me, you know, up to and including Shavasana, like my, my corpse pose had to be more corpse-like than anyone else's in the class. And with the piano, it's like, I'm able to just, to just be the way they tell you, you're supposed to just be in yoga class, like to just be at peace with what you're capable of. And I mean, there's so much enjoyment in mastering a piece of music and being able to play it all the way through and, and have it sound, God willing, the way the composer intended, sort of. But there's also a lot of comfort in just being like, you know what, like, I'm going to struggle and I'm going to try and I never might be I never might get to any better than okay I, I might be mediocre and obviously you don't want your heart surgeon being okay with being yeah. mediocre <laughs> as, as, as she prepares to cut you open but you know I think that we as women we push ourselves so much we expect so much of ourselves we beat ourselves up constantly we set these benchmarks and just kick ourselves for not clearing them and I think that there's a lot of peace and joy in being able to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and it's just going to be for me. And I'm not going to worry about making it perfect or having it beautiful. It's, it's just going to be my thing. And I, I, I think that's a gift really. And I, I wish that it's a gift more women would give themselves. Yeah. I'll never be Anne Ryan King, but I, I love doing it. That's why people say, Oh, post, post to video. I'm like, I'm not good. Like I'm not good at this. That is not going to happen. I've been banned from shooting from the audience. Yeah. I just enjoy it, but I'm no threat to Anne Ryan King. All right. We're going to let you go. Uh, We just love the book, Mrs. Everything, but you are embarking on what could, it's an old fashioned monster book tour. Like you're going everywhere. So, We'll post your schedule at SatelliteSisters.com because there's Satellite Sisters all over the country. You're going coast to coast, Iowa, Chicago, everywhere. I wonder, Jennifer, you've been on a lot of book tours. You're out there speaking a lot. What do you learn from the people who come see you? What What does the book tour give you? I... I mean, it's it's so interesting because writing is so solitary. Like you're in there like alone with your laptop and your imagination. And then you go on book tour and it's just like people, people, people. So there's always like a little bit of like the bends, you know, that that like scuba divers talk about where they're like re-entering the they're coming up slowly and it's like, oh wait, I, I forgot how to breathe this air. But what I learn is that um first of all, there's something really wonderful about seeing people in real life without filters. Um, it's, it's good to remind myself of, you know, just like the way that people look and how different it is than what you see on social media every day. But I, what I learned is that everyone has a story and there's, there's commonality to our stories. I think lots of women talk about trauma that they've overcome or or something that they've lived through. I mean, everyone has a Me Too story. Um, but, you know, everyone out there is on a journey and everyone's journey is her own. And I, I love hearing other people's stories to the extent that I have time to listen on, on book tour, but it's just, it's just really wonderful for me to know that my stories have touched someone and, and given someone some comfort. 
Well, we wish you the best of luck with this book. It's wonderful. We're so happy you could join us on Satellite Sisters today. The book is Mrs. Everything. You can find all the information you need at SatelliteSisters.com about Jennifer, her book, her monster book tour. We thank you so much for being on. Good luck. Have fun out there. Oh, thank thank you. you so much for having me. This was great. This was great. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. We are so happy at Satellite Sisters to have BritBox as a sponsor. You know, we love it. It's the streaming home of the best British television with exclusive mysteries, crime dramas, comedies, documentaries, and more. Julie, what's your fave? Vera, I love this show. I'm on season 11. I mean, Brenda Blethyn is such a great actress. And the character Liz Vera, I don't know if you've watched it, but she's essentially Margaret Thatcher in a trench coat, okay? (laughs) She is bossing people around and solving crime. I love her. Okay, well, I want to especially recommend Archie. Archie's a brand new limited series. It's starring Jason Isaacs as Archie Leach. Who is he? He's the man who became Harry Grant. And oh. you know, what's so interesting about this is it's sort of about how he became a star in old Hollywood, how he went from being Archie Leach to being Cary Grant. But also because it's him growing up in old Hollywood, there are a lot of people in the in the movie playing Doris Day, Grace Kelly, George Burns. It's little snapshots of what it was like to become a movie star back in the day. So I really enjoyed it and recommend. So sign up for BritBox today to stream Archie and any other fan favorites from any device you have. So we have a special limited time offer. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for the monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use our promo code SISTERS at checkout. Got it? Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Use promo code SISTERS at BritBox.com. Okay. One other really key announcement we have here is, remember, we have announced the I'd rather be cheeseboarding contest. <laughs> yeah. Satellite Sisters, I'd rather be cheeseboarding photo contest is going on right now in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group and on Instagram. So remember, the prize for two lucky winners is an entire year of cheese Fantastic. from Cabot Creamery. Come on, people. Yeah. You know, thank you, Cabot Creamery, for supporting our cheeseboarding efforts. But all of the rules are posted on our website, SatelliteSisters.com. But either on Facebook or on Instagram, just make sure you use the hashtags. The two main hashtags are hashtag SatSistersCheeseboarding and hashtag Cabot cheese. And this is the drawing. Like, we're not judging your cheese boards. It's just kind of like anyone who uses the hashtags on either Facebook or Instagram, you're going to go in the hat and you're going to get a year's worth of cheese. So the contest dates are June 4th through June 25th. We are announcing the winners on our July 2nd show. And here's the good news. The cheese goes directly to you from Cabot Creamery not through me, a very unreliable uh, fulfillment source. Yes. And this is Liz. Yes. I know that's not my strong suit. But anyway, Cabot Cheese has us totally covered for that. That's right. With their delicious, naturally aged cheddars. So we want to see your cheese boards. Remember that. Look for for the posts in the Facebook group and use the hashtags SatSistersCheeseBoarding and hashtag Cabot Cheese on Instagram. All right. They're pouring in. I love seeing all those cheese boards. Love it. (laughs) 
Okay, Liz. <laughs> making me hungry. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a little travel here. A couple weeks ago from the New York Times, they did one of their 36 hours in Bend, Oregon. It always surprises me when I see places I know really well and then what they choose to highlight. Right. So what did you notice about 36 hours in Bend, Liam? What I noticed was that they left off most of my favorite places, which I'm so relieved about because <laughs> I, I love Bend, Oregon. It's a yes. beautiful, natural place. There's so many wonderful things to do. Yes. S- service can be very slow there. It's <laughs> It's not the it's big city. It's a relaxed city. style. It's a relaxed right? pace. And if it got any slower because of crowds, it would be problematic for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So I was happy to see they left off my coffee place. They left off the little restaurant we enjoy yes. so much mm-hmm. that the whole fam loves. They, yeah. My yoga place was not mentioned. The place where we buy all the, the beauty stuff, the yeah. face oils and yeah. stuff. Oh, good. Not right. on the list. So. <laughs> so the lesson there is there's the stuff that's in the story. Yeah. And then there's so much more in Bend, right. Oregon. So we do encourage you to go. Actually, yeah. the stuff they put in the story is good. Yeah. I mean, there is some float the river, Crocs, yes. the brewery. There were a couple of key things. Yeah, they didn't put any... Not nothing no in the list clunkers. was like not no. good. Yeah, it just wasn't my list. So I was happy to see that. Something for everyone in yep. Bend, Oregon. Okay, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And then the other travel thing I wanted to talk about, Julie. This is mm-hmm. especially a question for you because in the Facebook group, here's what Rachel asked. She said, "Hello, my satellite sisters." My husband and I are traveling from the UK to New Orleans for his 50th birthday. That he, sounds fun right there. I, you it's lived be there a good for time. many years. That's why I thought you are best positioned to answer this one. Her letter goes on. Um, he loves Halloween and is fascinated with how you celebrate Halloween in the U.S. It's just taken off here in the last couple of years. He knows we are going away and he knows the dates, but he doesn't know where we are going or what we'll be doing. Trouble is, I don't know what we'll be doing either. I'll do my research, but there's nothing like word of mouth. So I thought I would turn to my sisters and misters for a little help. We're there for a week, the 29th of October to the 5th of, no- to the 5th of November. In my mind, Halloween is big in N.O., but is it? Yes, indeed. Um, Well, first thing I would say to you, Rachel, is you and your husband really should start working right now on your costume because (laughs) you should not. In fact, you're going to need to check an extra bag. You need go big or don't go to New Orleans (laughs) for Halloween because you this is really a time when you're going to see some fabulous costumes. Uh, You want to be in the French Quarter. You want to be in a costume. You want to be walking around. Uh, and I, I think that will be a fantastic night um, uh, for Halloween. Certainly, you want to take the streetcar, ride up and down St. Charles Avenue, and see all the Halloween de- decorations. Oh, good tip. I mean, I, I mean, that is a great way to do it. They will be fabulous, and they will inspire you. So when you go back to the U.K., you can start uh, decorating your flat or your house mm-hmm. um, for Halloween in the future. Given the dates that you're going to be there, the 29th of October through the 5th of November, something that you might want to do, which I think is very, it's was really, really pleasant, uh, is after Halloween on All Saints Day, which is November 1st, it is a local tradition to go to the cemeteries in New Orleans. Oh, right. And you will see whole families go to these unique and wonderful cemeteries that are built above ground. So they have great statuaries in there. 
and you'll see people just at the grave sites celebrating with their lost family members. They're bringing a picnic. They're having having a drink or a toast to their family members, and that's something you don't see in um, lots of other uh, cities in in the U.S. But it's something on All Saints Day. They always did that in New Orleans. So uh, those would bring a big costume, uh, bring a sense of fun, and uh, check out the cemeteries on All Saints Day. Okay. I mean, you can Google a lot of other good stuff. Of course, there's a parade. There's the big the thing par- at the yeah, zoo. Yeah, the parade, the crew to boo mm-hmm. is actually held earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- I'm sure there will be some kind of parade on Halloween night, but the actual Halloween parade is actually earlier in um, October. It's mid-October. Oh, okay. Okay. A- and I know for Mardi Gras, Julie, people just wear their costumes all day, every day for a week yeah, at a time. Yeah, that's fine. Same, yeah. same around it, Halloween? It, they can just wear it every day? Yeah. <laughs> all day. I mean, I think you really should, you know, work hard on that Halloween costume for Halloween Day. They also have a voodoo museum. I think they have an excellent World War II museum, which has yes. nothing to do with Halloween. But that's definitely worth checking out as well. Rachel, I think you've made an awesome choice. This is a perfect time of year to be there. And happy birthday uh, to your satellite mister. That's great. That's great. All right. That's our Facebook group. There's always a lot happening there. So head on over. You can just search us on Facebook for the Satellite Sisters. You have to answer a couple of questions about whether you listen to the show or not. But we assume if you've made it this far, you listen to the show. So those questions shouldn't be too hard. (laughs) And then you can participate in everything. The cheese boarding, the book giveaway for saying everywhere. Start your costumes. questions. Yeah, post your costumes. Whatever you want in the Facebook group. Everyone's so nice there. And that's, I think... It's very pleasant over there, isn't we it? We have tried to enforce a certain solidarity yes. there. It's not like the rest of social media. No. It's, <laughs> no, no. it's almost entirely nice and fun. <laughs> All right. A special thank you to Jennifer Weiner, who was on the show today. Her book, Misses Everything, is out now in stores. We would also like to thank our engineer, Sergio Enriquez. He always has to work extra hard when we have guests, so thank you, Sergio. We'd like to thank our sponsors and the people that support our sponsors. And that's it, sisters. Yeah. Get to reading. Get to reading. reading. Get to cheese boarding. Sounds fun. (laughs) All right. We're the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. (laughs) 